Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, reading there in the first chapter, especially the fourth verse. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus, you who are here in God's house, and you also, Christian friends, who are worshiping with us by means of the radio. This is indeed a beautiful October Sunday. And I imagine that all of us are thankful to God that we're alive, and I hope that all of us who are worshiping at this hour are thankful that we are so doing. You know that today is the 18th Sunday after Trinity, and in the early Christian church on this Sunday, the epistle that was read was taken out of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. If you remember about Paul's missionary journeys, he had three of them. And on the second missionary journey, he came to Athens in Greece. And then he went not far from Athens to the city of Corinth. And there he labored for a period of 18 months and established a flourishing Christian congregation. When he was on his third missionary journey over in Ephesus and Asia Minor, he then wrote this first letter back to that congregation that he had established in Corinth on his second missionary journey. And here in the introduction, and this epistle lesson is one that is being written and read and has been again read today in hundreds of thousands of Christian churches in this world that are liturgical. And we find Paul writing in this epistle lesson and saying to the Corinthians, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Christ. Jesus. He says in so many words, Corinthians, whenever I think of you, whenever you come to mind, I thank God and I praise him that God has given you his grace in Christ Jesus. And I thank him that you have gotten that grace and what that grace has really done for you. He said, I always am thankful to God. I am ever filled with an undying gratitude for what God's grace has given you as regards the spiritual blessings which have come to you. And as Paul speaks to you and me in this 20th century, as he called upon the Corinthians to thank God and to praise God for the spiritual good things that God's grace in Christ had given them, so Paul is calling to you and to me as Christians this morning, and he's asking us to thank God, to praise God, to ever be thankful, to have an undying feeling of gratitude to God for the spiritual good things, the spiritual blessings, the real spiritual gifts that God's grace, his love, in Jesus Christ has given to you and me. And somehow or other we may say to ourselves, well, uh, it's hard to understand that Paul would say, be sure and thank God, be sure and praise God, have an undying spirit of gratitude to God for the spiritual gifts and blessings that his grace has given. And you and I may say it's hard to understand that he would call to us that we should ever be grateful for our spiritual blessings because uh, we may look at them and say, well, are they really so wonderful? We talk about our spiritual blessings that have come to us by the love of Christ. And we may say, are they just so terrific? 
Are they so magnificent? Aren't they really so stupendous that we should ever thank God and ever praise God? It's rather interesting when we look at this text as Paul writes by inspiration of God why he called on the Corinthians to be thankful to God, to praise God, to ever have a spirit and a sense of gratitude. He said because of this, that ye have been enriched in all things by him, that ye come behind in no gift. In other words, he says, listen, Corinthians, be sure that you thank God for the spiritual blessings that his love has bestowed upon you because these gifts make you the richest people in the world. And these gifts mean that you come behind in nothing. You're lacking in nothing. God has given you everything. Even God can't top the blessings that God's grace has given you. And so this morning when we say to ourselves, why should I thank God and praise God for the spiritual good things that his grace, his love in Christ Jesus has bestowed upon me, Paul says, for this reason, son, daughter, those blessings that you have received by his grace, they are so wonderful that you are the richest person in the world and even God can't top those blessings. And I think we ought to stop a little bit and say to ourselves, you mean to say that because God's grace has come to me, uh, that therefore I am the richest person in the world, and that even God couldn't top those blessings, that these blessings are second to none? That's what the Word of God says. And let's look at it for the moment and to see whether if that's true, that isn't every reason then why you and I should thank and should praise God and ever have a grateful spirit towards God because of these spiritual good things. These blessings are so marvelous, friend, and so wonderful that really we are the richest people in the world. And these blessings are so tremendous that even God, if he tried, mind you, God couldn't top them. He simply couldn't beat them. Paul reminds us in the first place why that is true, because Paul reminds us that God's grace in Christ Jesus has given you and me this spiritual gift, this spiritual blessing, the blessing of being released from eternal punishment, the blessing of being delivered from hell. That makes you and me as a Christian, that makes us the richest person in the world. It gives us a blessing that even God couldn't top. And we may say, do you mean to say that deliverance from hell is a blessing that even God in his love and grace couldn't top if he wanted to? That this is absolutely second to none? Have you ever experienced the frantic feeling of being lost? Have you ever panicked? Did you ever, as a child, get lost? Do you remember that horrible experience I do as a child? I remember being lost from my mother, and it was a horrible experience. And I remember that one day Ruth and I had our elder daughter, Dorothy, who was very small at the time. We had her in that amusement park one afternoon. And she let go of my hand, and she walked along because everything was so dazzling to her. And then she reached up, and there was a man's hand near her, and she thought it was mine, and she just reached up and got a hold of that hand and kept on walking. And I watched her and wondered what would happen. And suddenly she looked up and saw that that man was not her daddy and you never saw such a frantic look and never heard such an outcry of horror in your life a child in the moment lost and looked around and couldn't see her father 
When Neil Armstrong and Aldrin were in the Eagle and they were ready to leave the moon, do you remember how when we listened and the world was listening, how the commentators told us this is one thing that couldn't be tried, that here is a very strategic and dangerous moment. And then one commentator said, whether this goes up or not, he said, oh, let's don't even think about it. Have you ever wondered what the panic would have been to an Armstrong and an Aldrin if suddenly when they pressed the buttons that were to be pressed, that eagle didn't come off of the moon and they would look at one another and say, we're lost, we are stranded on the moon, we are lost. Did you ever realize what that would mean? God says you can't top this blessing. Can you and I realize when in baptism we have been brought to faith in Jesus Christ and we were delivered from the eternal punishment of our sin? Or when in the day when you and I through repentance of our sin and being brought to faith in Jesus Christ as an adult that you and I were delivered from the eternal punishment of hell? Can we understand what it means to be delivered from again and eternity of being cut off from the love and the mercy of God, that's hell. You can't top that blessing. And that means that we have also, by the grace of God, received this blessing, the blessing of heaven. What is heaven, we may say to ourselves? Could I remind you that heaven is God's home? Can you imagine what that home must be like when it's God's home? Can you and I, by the farthest stretch of our imagination, even begin to think what the palaces of heaven may be, or the many mansions, when we look out today on this tremendous universe and we say, this is God's universe, God created it, what must God's home be like? Nothing lacking, I am sure, second to none that your mind and mine fails us. And God says, when his grace has brought you and me the spiritual blessings that it has brought us, when it has brought us deliverance from an eternity separated from him, and again the gift of an eternity with him in heaven, God says, this can't be taught. You are the most wealthy individuals in the world. These blessings are second to none. But you know, we may say, well, preacher, I hate to say so, and I don't want to be presumptuous, but I think that God could have done a better job. I think that God could have topped what God has done. I think uh, if I had been there, and I don't want to appear presumptuous to be sure, I think I could have advised God that he could have done something even better, that he could have topped this. And you and I, we've all thought of, we may say, God, why didn't you create us so that we were incapable of sinning? Why didn't you make us so that all of us could do nothing else but love you. Then we could say, God, I think it would be an improvement. There would have never been a necessity for Calvary. Your son would never have had to come into the world and die. There would never have been a necessity for hell. God, wouldn't that have been an improvement? I merely suggested, God, don't you think that you could have topped it, and yet you say that we come behind and no gift? And then God would say to you and me, do you mean to say you would have preferred that I make you not a free human being with choice, 
Do you mean to say that I should have made you a slave? That I should have forced you to love me? That there would not be a choice on your part? That you would not love me because you wanted to love me and put your arms around me and I to put my arms around you? God would have said in simple, do you mean to say that you would prefer not to live in the great country in which you live in the United States where you have freedom and liberty of choice and where you thank me for it, but you would rather live under the Soviet Union where you are a slave? God would say, do you mean to say that that would be better to have created you slaves that you couldn't do otherwise? And God would say, I'm sorry, son. Sorry, daughter. You're mistaken. That would not have been any improvement. It would not have been anything better. I made you because I wanted you to be free moral agents with choice. I wanted you to love me because you wanted to love me. And even though that meant Calvary and my son dying for the sins of the world, and even though that meant a creation of hell, nevertheless, this was the best. You are the most wealthy individuals in the world. I have done that which is second to none. It is, again, it can't be talked. And that ought to mean this then today, that when Paul calls upon us to thank God and ever be filled with an undying sense of gratitude for the spiritual good things that we have received by his grace, that we ought to just say, I'm going to be thankful, and that's going to be the very spirit of my life. And then we ought to stop for a moment and say, am I thankful? Do I really appreciate the things that I have? Am I really saying to myself, these things make me the wealthiest person in the world and these blessings are second to none? How many of us say, well, I think uh, I can top this in other things? How many of us have turned away and say, well, there are other things I think that, again, make me the wealthiest person in the world? How many of us are saying, the aim of my life is to make money? I am out to get all that I can. I want to be wealthy. The aim of my life is position. I want position and I want distinction. I want all the honor that can come to me. I want to go out and this is what I consider even to top what God gives me in grace in Jesus Christ. But have you ever noticed this, friend? Have you ever seen a man who is dedicated to seeing how much money he can make and what a position he can occupy in a place of honor who has ever come to the place where he said, I've got enough money and I've got enough honor and got enough distinction? I have never met that man, have you? And you never will meet that man who lives for that because God has made you and me that there will never be satisfaction found in money. There will never be satisfaction found in wealth, in honor, in distinction. It always leaves you and me craving and longing. Or there may be the individual says, I'll find something even greater apart from God's grace. And today it's being hammered into our young people, especially on the college campus. You've got to do away with the mores, we are saying. And they love to use that word mores for morality. Mores means custom. In other words, that all that morality is simply a custom. It's an invention of men for a particular age. And on the college campus we are hearing that now it ought to be that girls and boys from one dormitory to the other should be allowed to intermingle and go and stay without escort. And if a girl decides that she wants to shack up or live with a boy on the campus and share expenses, it ought to be all right. This is that new morality. And we read in Sweden about communal living where again a young girl said that she feels that in spirit she is the wife of four men. And this means breaking over the shackle. This is something that is of greater value and brings greater joy. 
uh, than the spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ. You know, it's rather strange, but I've been reading reports of psychiatrists on this. And again, we call this promiscuity. When we go out and we are going to forget that God says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And we are going to say, Now we're going to live to the flesh and we're going to live as we please. This is the highest good. We find that psychiatrists are saying there is a penalty that is attached to promiscuity. That is to going out and to living the way we want to live regardless of any moral code. And the penalty is this. It is impotency. Those that are living promiscuously are finding this tragedy that their bodies are becoming impotent they are finding themselves incapable of producing the sex act. And when a young man becomes so impotent through promiscuity that the craving of his sexual desire cannot be satisfied, and when the young woman, because of promiscuity, finds that again even the climax can no longer be reached, and you have a craving and a body that is powerless to fulfill it, you have a soul within that is in torment. And if that means, young friends, something better than the grace of God in Jesus Christ, it means a double tragedy. It means frustration now with an impotent body, and it means an eternal frustration in hell where the soul still craves and the cravings shall never be satisfied. God deliver you and me from ever saying to ourselves how precious are again the spiritual good things in Jesus Christ. If you and I have said there's something that tops them, may I assure you, young friend, that when we kick over God's morality, that's tragedy. That is eternal tragedy. Today the Apostle Paul calls on you and me and he says, Will you ever thank God and will you ever praise him? Will you ever entertain within your heart a spirit of thankfulness for again the spiritual good things that God's grace has given? And all because Paul says, Remember, these blessings are so precious that you are the most wealthy individuals in the world. You have blessings that are second to none. Even God can't top those blessings and we may say God can't top them what are the blessings Paul reminds us in the second place that when again you and I have become a Christian that God's grace in Christ has bestowed this spiritual good thing he has bestowed the guarantee of the forgiveness of our sins in the sacrament as I have mentioned today is Worldwide Communion Sunday have you ever realized what the tremendous blessing is in Holy Communion or if we just turn to the Word of God and let the Word of God speak, Jesus took a piece of bread and he blessed it. He said, Take eat, this is my body, didn't he? He took some wine and he drank of it and blessed it. He said, Take and drink, this is my blood. And we wonder, what is this mystery? This is my body, this is my blood. To go to Paul in this very first letter, and Paul explains just what the mystery is. Paul says, the bread which we break, it communicates to us Christ's body. And the cup that we bless, it communicates, it conveys 
conveys to us Christ's blood. That in this sacrament on this day, that by means of bread and wine, which are conveyors, they convey to us Christ's body and Christ's blood. Look at that body and look at that blood. That was the body that was given in death and the blood that was shed in death on the cross. That body and blood that endured the eternity of hell punishment for you and for me. That body and blood, that was the sacrifice that bore in full what you and I would have to endure if we spent an eternity in hell. Do you realize that this can't be topped, that when I come to communion and I receive Christ's body and blood, and I know I do by means of bread and wine, and I have that sacrifice whereby Christ paid in full for my eternal damnation, I have a guarantee that my sins are forgiven, that I am not lost, and no greater guarantee could God give you and me. That's tops. That's tops. And that means this tremendous blessing, peace, amidst all the adversities and the troubles of life. When I have this peace, and I have it through the body and blood of Christ, that I know that I can't be lost. I have that sacrifice when I have come in faith with him, and therefore I have the guarantee that my soul is not lost. His body and his blood was the sacrifice, and that's the bill marked paid in full. Then I've got peace. When I look out in this trouble, how many of you are worried and concerned, Vietnam and sons and daughters, and you say, what's the future? Isn't this a tremendous blessing to be at peace, to know that God isn't punishing when adversity comes in your life and mine, that it comes from love when God has guaranteed you and me that all is well between us and him through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. God doesn't punish his children. God, again, assures you and me that it's in love. But we may say, but God, you know, I, I don't want to be presumptuous or facetious. But you know, God, you say that uh, this is second to none and that even you couldn't top. You know, God, if you'd asked me, I think I could have improved. And God would say to you and me this morning, and I think we've all thought these things. We'd say, God, I think you could have improved it this way. Uh, why didn't you give us roses and roses all the way? Why, why do you let adversity come to us who are your Christian children? Why, again, does death come to a child and sickness and illness and our loved ones and all the adversities and they get killed in Vietnam? And, uh, God, why when we're... Uh, I think, God, you could have just... You could have improved it, I think, a little if you'd have given us roses and roses all the way in. God says, oh, son, daughter, listen, if I had done that, if I had given you roses and roses all the way and in love I had taken away every adversity, you would never long for heaven. And then God would remind you, say, son, daughter, listen, let me tell you something. My heaven never becomes beautiful for you until you see it through a tear. You've got to see my home through a tear, or it doesn't mean anything. Only through a tear, through adversity, does it sparkle and does it gleam and does your heart and mind long. And so God says, listen, son, I appreciate your suggestion, but I still tell you that I have left nothing lacking, that it's second to none, that even I, with my power and my grace, I could not have done anything better or finer than what I have done. And that ought to mean today that we say to our God, God, in gratefulness for what you have done, I shall show my gratitude, and I shall show it by using the privilege that is mine of the Lord's Supper. 
How many of us feel that the Lord's Supper is an obligation, a duty that you've got to put through with, and that the minute you get done, you've got to get out of church just as fast as you can scamper uh, because you've got to get to that restaurant and get that chair before the other guy gets it, that it's sort of an ordeal. God pity you and me if that's it. There is no grander privilege on earth than to come to the Lord's Supper for this guarantee of forgiveness. Here's the place where you and I can come and bring those sins that we just can't hardly get ourselves in the place where we forgive ourselves. You know, I think communion was one of the grandest experiences in the life of St. Paul. He had done something that he could hardly ever forgive himself for, and that is that he had persecuted Christians. You know, he went out and he killed Christians, and that man could never quite get over it. Imagine what communion meant to him. He could come to communion, and every time he would come, he could say, God, I lay on the altar these sins that I find it so hard to forgive myself for, but I know that when you give me your body and blood, your sons, that those erasers they erase from my soul every bit of guilt and every bit of punishment that even you don't remember my sins anymore and do you know of anything more wonderful than when God says I don't remember your sins anymore my son's body and blood have wiped them out of my mind wiped them off of your heart forgive yourself and then you and I can go down to our house in peace I challenge you friend and myself do you know of anything more wonderful Anything more marvelous than the spiritual blessings that God's grace has given us? Paul says, why, you're the wealthiest people in the world. Even God couldn't do anything any better. It's second to none. God couldn't even top it. Why? Because Paul also reminds us that God's grace in Jesus Christ, when it has been brought to you and me as a Christian, it has given us this blessing, given us the promise that Christ will see that we will remain steadfast in the faith until the day when he comes again. Paul reminded the Corinthians, so don't forget Christ is coming again. You see the promise here that Christ will confirm you and me. He will keep us in faith that nothing will destroy your faith and mine in him until the day when he comes again and he is the coming one. He is saying to you, you top that one if you will. He's saying this, here is Satan and Satan will come and tempt you in every way possible. The world will tempt you to defect and will tempt you to desert me. Your own flesh will tempt you. But he says, I promise you that I will be with you. And if you turn to me for strength, I assure you that no temptation of Satan or the world or your own flesh will ever be so great. But what I will give you the strength to say no, I'll see you through. And I'll see you through so that on the day when I come again, you will stand blameless before me. And I'll say to you, come ye blessed of my Father, and I'll raise your body from the dead if you have died before that day, and I will give you an incorruptible body, and you shall enter my home and be with me and your loved ones forever and forever and forever and forever. Can you top this? And you know, we may say, well, Lord, I hate to be facetious and I hate to presume, but God, if you'd have asked me and if I'd have been there when you planned this business I think I could have made a suggestion that would have made it a little better God went Satan and you made him a free moral agent and the angels when they fell why didn't you exterminate Satan and the fallen angels or why didn't you send them directly to hell then why do you let them do what they're doing to tempt man 
I think, God, I could have improved a little bit. I think if you had exterminated Satan and the diabolical forces of evil, and if, or if you had consigned them to hell and made them powerless, I think, God, it would have been an improvement. And then God would say, do you really think so? And God would have said, I could have done that. Oh, I could have exterminated Satan. I could have put him in hell right away. I could have prevented any temptation from him. But God would say, do you realize that this time when you're on this side of the Jordan, this is the time when you are to make your choice? Do you realize that unless you are tempted, unless someone comes and again says, now is it going to be Christ or why don't you come my way? That God says, do you realize that this is the time of moral choice? And I have allowed Satan to have power that you can be confronted and you make your decision. This is the time of decision. If there were no Satan, you would not face the moment of decision. There would be no temptation. And God says, even though it means temptation, even though it meant my son dying, nevertheless, you are free moral agents. And when you are in heaven with me, I want you there because you chose to be. And God would remind you and me that there are some who, those who are going to be in hell, who are there because they choose, they want to be in hell. They do not want to be with God in heaven. This is the time of choice. And God says, I couldn't have done any better. I have allowed him to go ahead and tempt you, that you may be confronted and you may have to make a choice. He, my Christ, will give you the strength if you want him. But the choice is yours. I want you in heaven only because you want to be with me. I would never force you to be there. And if you are lost in hell, it is because that's your choice. So you see, it is true. We are the wealthiest people in the world in Jesus Christ. And again, God has done his best not second best, even God couldn't top it. And that ought to mean in your life and mine that today we say, God, I do want to thank you and I do want to praise your name for making me the wealthiest person in the world, for giving me gifts that can't be topped because I don't deserve them. It's a good thing to stop this morning and to say to ourselves, why did God's grace ever pick you for eternal life? I don't see anything so nice about you. You say, wait a minute, preacher, why did he ever pick you? I don't see anything so nice about you, and you're so right. I don't see anything nice about any of us, do you? The Word of God says there isn't any difference. All of us have sinned. We're all rebels. All of us have treated God shamefully and disgracefully. When I look at my life, I don't deserve what God's grace did. I wonder sometimes, why wasn't I born centuries ago over again in some place in the world where the name of Jesus Christ was never mentioned? Why was I born in the 20th century? God didn't see anything so lovely in me. That's grace, isn't it? Undeserved love. Why was I born in a Christian home? Why was I in infancy presented in baptism to the Lord Jesus Christ? Why was I trained in a parochial school and why was I taught in Sunday school and by my mother and father? I, I'm not that lovely or lovely that I don't deserve that. Why did the Holy Spirit put into my heart early in life a 
desire for the ministry and one fanned by my mother who always had only the finest things to say about the ministry and the ministers of Jesus Christ. I don't deserve that. And then at the end of my sophomore year at Cap University, when I realized that I had a stone in the kidney, and I know what it means to lie on a hospital bed and to have a urologist say, things don't look so good, there's a possibility that you may lose a kidney. I know what it means to lie there and be rather helpless. I had in mind either the ministry or medicine. It was sort of a toss-up. I wondered which one it would be. But that night in my life, God and I became very intimate. Oh, I didn't bargain with God. I don't believe in that. But I did tell God that I realized how much life depends upon him and whether you've got a kidney or whether you haven't, that it would be the ministry. And I did pray that night that if it were God's will uh, that I might be a healthy minister, that I might serve him that way. And I didn't deserve what I got because the kidney was all right, the stone was removed. And here I'm preaching to you this morning. In June, I have finished 38 years in the ministry, nearly 32 here. And in 38 years in the ministry, God has blessed me in grace so much I've never missed a Sunday for illness in 38 years. Very few ministers can say that. I don't deserve that. God sees nothing lovely in me, but I realize what his grace really means. And then to use me to be the pastor of this congregation, the largest Lutheran church in the Ohio district. I don't know what God has in store, how long I'm to stay. As far as I'm concerned, I'm willing. As long as you want me, and when you don't want me, I hope that in love you will tell me. Or I'm willing to remain unless the time comes that I feel for your good uh, that there be a change. I leave that to God. But oh, when we can thank God for his grace, realizing that there's nothing lovely in me or in you, why God should have blessed us that we are the wealthiest people in the world, blessing second to none, then it ought to mean this, this joy of walking hand in hand with our God and singing with him and laughing with him on the road to glory. That's what it can mean. As we say it so beautifully in that Latvian song, my God and I go in the field together. We walk and talk as good friends should and do. We clasp our hands. We've got a hold of one another. Our voices ring with laughter. We laugh as we walk the glory road. Our voices ring with laughter. My God and I walk through the meadows you. Then we must say, but what do you do when you laugh with God and you're happy? And then you laugh with tears. Oh, the tears come, don't they? But oh, we can still laugh because when God and I and you and God have your hands clasped together, we can say, this earth will pass and with it common trifles. But God and I will go unendingly laughing 
in tears. You can't beat that. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.